Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Carita Fly sharing her journey of two miscarriages and then giving birth to her rainbow baby, her son, the emergency cesarean at 26 weeks, a journey in which she and her son could have lost their lives. But she is grateful to be able to share her miraculous story. Hello, Karita. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. yes. Welcome, welcome. All right. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yes, absolutely. So my family consists of myself, my husband, John, and Isaac, who will be four in November. Um, We also have, I know in the introduction, um, we talked about the two miscarriages, but I unfortunately had a third in April. So we now have three angel babies that I always like to include in our family dynamics. Um, And that's about it. I was trying to decide if I wanted to ask you how you were feeling, right? Um, I don't know if you've shared that with anyone else that you've had um, another loss as we go into this. And Yes, no, that's totally fine. Um, I am in a much better place now, and I actually made the decision to talk about it on the podcast today. Um, It will be the first time that I'm actually sharing. You know, people know that I had the miscarriage, but I have not shared any details, anything like that. Um, But I am in a place definitely now where I can do that. So that's it's okay for me to talk about it here. Just checking in. Yes. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy? Yes. So my pregnancy with Isaac was definitely high risk um, because of the previous losses. And the first two miscarriages that I had, they did not really have a reason for them. So going into this third pregnancy, um, the losses were 14 weeks and 12 weeks. So going into this third pregnancy, it was kind of like, we're going to watch you as closely as we can to try to prevent this again. Maybe we'll catch something earlier than we did with the first two. But because nobody really knew what happened, um, we were just kind of going with the flow. So it was um, a very exciting and terrifying time all at once. Um, We were grateful that, you know, we were pregnant again. But um, because of our history, it's like you don't want to get too attached, too excited, anything like that. Um, So I was seeing my regular OB at one hospital, and then they were sending me to a maternal fetal medicine team at another hospital um, that was more equipped for high-risk pregnancies. And if the baby came early, they had a level three NICU. So I was going back and forth, um, and everything was pretty normal besides the fact that I was so sick. Um, The pregnancy was going well. The baby was growing and everything. not to stretch that part out too long, but at 26 weeks, um, he was born. But 21 weeks, um, I had an emergency cerclage placed because my cervix had shortened to about one centimeter. Um, this was found at a regular um, MFM appointment. They did weekly cervical checks, so I'm grateful for that. So they were able to catch that. Um, I was immediately sent to the hospital, had the stitch placed at 21 weeks, but um, I was also told that if my water broke, during that procedure, that because I was only 21 weeks, they probably would not try to do anything to save the baby. Um, So that was pretty terrifying for me, but I'm grateful that that worked. Um, So it was a very scary time, but exciting time. And I I did have really good teams from two different hospitals that worked to keep that pregnancy um, going as long as they could. 
You bring up an important point um, when you talk about kind of what they call the point of viability, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A medical term that, you know, for a lot of people, the moment they conceive is where they feel, you know, of course, that their family and their child is viable. But in the medical community, it can range between about 20 to 24 weeks where Mm -hmm. um, they won't even send you up to the maternity ward until yeah. you've reached past those points um, where things are happening. And so that's something for our, our listeners to think about and to, to know, just to mm-hmm. know and be aware of, um, because as a parent and, a, a you know, the pregnant person there, thinking that everyone is all hands on deck to yes. save your baby, and that's not necessarily the case. They're Absolutely. on deck to save you. Yep. Yep. And that's the hard part, too, because like you said, you know, from the beginning, your child is your child. So you're not thinking, oh, I'm only 21 weeks. So if something happens, it's OK. It's like, no, I would like for you guys to try to do something here um, if something happens. So I'm grateful that um, I was not in that position, that the surclage procedure went well. My water did not break. Um, but, yeah, that is definitely something for um, expecting moms to think about. So um, what was... I mean, I think, um, definitely things got a little bit trickier when at 20, 21 weeks you had to get the surclage placed. But what were prepar- what was preparation for birth? Um, was that something you were thinking about? And did that kind of shift um, when 21 weeks hit and you had to get the surclage placed? Um, to be completely honest and transparent, I don't even think I thought about birth that much. Um, it was kind of just like a day-to-day, week-to-week kind of thing. Um, And for me, thinking about birth was just that I hope that I give birth to a living child kind of thing. And so I I didn't really have a birth plan. Um, I didn't even know which hospital I would be delivering at because they were just sending me back and forth. You know, if I deliver before this time, it has to be here. If it's after, it'll be there, you know, different things like that. So there wasn't much stability um, and, you know, I guess preparation for that experience of birth. But um, for me, my biggest thing was just that I want to give birth kind of thing. You know, whatever that looks like for me, however that happens, um, I'll be okay with it as long as there is a living, breathing child on the other end of that experience. Thank you for that transparency. Um, because it, I mean, it highlights the realities of when you've had losses, how you sometimes move through um your pregnancies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Being able to prepare yourself mentally um, for what's to come is um, taking it day by day. Yes. Um, and not really, um, yeah, just being present in those moment in the yes. moment, yes. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. It's not uncommon for someone that's had experienced loss to like not even you know, plan or, or go through any of the motions that they yeah. normally are even thought of going through, like even yeah. maternity pictures or yes. different yep. things like that. It just, it's hard. It's hard yeah. to just put and both I, feet in. Right? I say all the time, I think I had maybe six pictures total from when I was pregnant because it was just kind of like that. I don't want to document this too much. I don't want to get too attached, too excited any of that. So yeah, you're right. It is hard to kind of even think that far ahead to those typical, you know, pregnancy experiences because it is a one day at a time kind of thing. So walk us through the birth. Um, Walk us through, you know, at 26 weeks, what what happened? 
Okay, so this is where the story gets a little crazy, guys. So, um, so 26 weeks I had as uh, a Friday. So all my appointments were every Friday. I went to the high-risk doctor. And so that morning I had a regular appointment and they didn't catch anything. They didn't see anything. I didn't feel, you know, I, I didn't feel great the entire pregnancy. So me, you know, feeling kind of groggy, sick, not myself, wasn't abnormal. So there was a regular appointment. The doctor's like, okay, see you next week, you know, kind of thing. And I got home. The appointment was maybe about 10 a.m. I got home, and by this time, it's maybe 3 or 4 p.m., and I was like, something doesn't feel right. I think these are contractions. Like, But, no, it can't be contractions because I was just at the doctor. You know, she would have known if I was in labor. And as time went on, I timed it every 10 minutes. I was having a contraction. Um, not to get too graphic, but by this time I lost my mucus plug and everything. So I'm like, I am definitely in labor. Um, unfortunately, I was at home by myself. Husband's at work. Mom's at work. Um, my sister was the first person I called. I'm like, I don't know where you are. I don't want to interrupt your day, but please come get me. Take me to labor and delivery. And we get there. I, I check in. Um, when I see the nurse she's like oh you're not in labor like you know we'll hook you up to the machine anyway but nothing's happening i'm looking at the screen there's no contractions i was like lady i'm having contractions okay like i i have lost my mucus plug i am in labor she's nine months pregnant by the way okay she's she's telling me that her baby's due any day so she knows you know about the braxton hicks contractions and all this stuff and she you know she's she's putting her experience off on me pretty much like so that that's also something that I'll probably come back to um during this interview but it was kind of what I was saying was being brushed off and the resident comes in and she does um, a vaginal exam and she's like yeah you're definitely in labor she's like the stitch that we placed is still there but I can feel your son's feet she's like so I don't know how long you've been in labor but he's trying to come out and we need to do something now. And I just was so relieved that somebody believed me, <laughs> like somebody understood that I was in labor. And I, I skipped a part of the story. I'm sorry, I'll go back. Um, during that same week, I had gone to the ER three times because I wanted someone to look at me because I knew that it was like I didn't feel good, but I also felt a lot of pressure in that vaginal area. And I was like, I don't think this is good. Each time, Nurse said the same thing. You're fine. You're pregnant. You're going to be uncomfortable. We'll see you another time. But that Friday, I was like, this is different. Like, I'm contracting. I'm, I don't feel well. So for somebody to finally say, you haven't been going crazy all week, <laughs> was a relief for me. But it also kind of angered me. Because it was like, could you guys have prevented this, you know, premature birth had somebody listened to me? And I, I will say that... Um, being a young black woman going back and forth to these appointments, I definitely feel like had an impact on that because I never saw a nurse of color. Um, and that I do believe affected how that kind of went. But um, back to the actual day of labor and delivery, um, they saw that the baby's feet were coming out and they're like, you have to have a C-section now. Neonatology will come down and talk to you. Anesthesia will talk to you. But all this is happening while you're telling me that my baby, who weighs less than two pounds, has to be born right now. Um, and 
we get back to the operating room. Everything happened so fast. Um, my C-section did not go very well. I had some hemorrhaging. I needed blood transfusions. They were trying to place a pick line during the C-section, um, which they blew a vein doing that. And so it was, I mean, it was traumatic would be probably an understatement. <laughs> so this is all happening while all I'm trying to think is, please let my baby come out, you know, alive. Because we've been through a lot in this pregnancy, and I don't know what's happening with my less than two pound baby in here. And so they told me that he probably would not come out crying or anything because his lungs were so fragile. But when they eventually did get him out, he screamed. And that was such a relief for me because it was like, I didn't get to see him or anything. They had to take him right to the NICU. But hearing that sound was just like, okay, mom, I'm okay. You know, like I came out, I'm here, I'm living, I'm breathing, I'm okay. And that was such a relief for me, finally getting that experience. But now it's like, am I going to be okay? Because now I'm bleeding out, the anesthesia, the epidural is wearing off. I feel them sewing me back up. They didn't do the pick line because they couldn't get it in. And so I ended up being, I think, in the um, operating room for another couple hours after they had even delivered my son. And I remember my mom and my husband being extremely worried because they sent him out. He couldn't come back. They weren't giving updates or anything. Um, so that was probably the scariest time for me. When I'm now in this operating room by myself, I'm feeling everything because my vitals are all over the place. They can't give me any anesthesia or anything. And it's kind of like, what is happening? And I have one doctor that's saying, just give them more anesthesia. And I have another doctor that's like, are you looking at the same machine that I'm looking at? Do you see this heart rate? Do you see this blood pressure? There's no way we can give her anything else. And I feel like she was my angel. I say all the time. I feel like she was my angel in that room because I don't know what the outcome had have been if she wasn't there. Um, because everything was based on what one male doctor was saying. And this one black woman who was there, who's also um, an OB, was advocating for me when I couldn't advocate for myself. And I feel like that was huge for me um, because, like I said, I don't know what the outcome of my birth experience would have been had she not been in that room. Karita, did they actually tell you why you were having a surgical birth? No. It, it was just that that brief, um, kind of just that, like, your son's feet are sticking out. We got to have this C-section now. Take her out of this room. And it literally was probably 15 minutes total from the time that they said that to the time I was in the operating room. I don't know if he was the baby ever showing signs of distress other than yes of course there's you know a reason why this baby wants to exit at this point um but also that babies can be born vaginally mm -hmm. yeah and you know and it's especially funny that when they're that little when you bring that up is that i did i honestly can say i did not know that i always felt that like when babies are born that early it has to be um, via cesarean. Until I got into the preemie mom community and I heard these stories of women who had vaginal births, and I was like, but how? And they're like, well, why not? You know, exactly. I, was able, I was able to do it, so they let me do it. And it, it's amazing that you, you brought that up. And I will say, 
it could have been, and this was never actually said, it could have been because the cerclage was still in. And so technically that's a surgical procedure to get it out. So they may have just done it all at once, but I don't know if they could have just removed the cerclage and let the baby come out. Right. You know, so I I don't know, but that's a very good question that I probably should bring up to my doctor next time I go back. So thank you for that. Because I I always just thought that that's how it had to happen if a baby was born premature. And now I know the difference. Mm -hmm. Education is important. It is, um, especially because sometimes a, a surgical birth can feel like an emergency, right? Because yeah. they're saying it's an emergency surgical mm-hmm. birth. Um, and it could be, you know, mm-hmm. because they didn't have enough time to figure out if baby's okay and mm-hmm. if they can get this done at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm not trying to make you question everything sure, that sure. happened and second guess yourself. <laughs> sure. I just want you to think about and for, of course, you know, people listening like, yes, it's very much so that you can um, deliver a baby, not only vaginally premature, but I mean, if someone's yeah. got the skills, they can also deliver a baby if they're yes. breech. So. Yes. And, and and all of this is so on point because, it, like I said, I didn't even begin to kind of explore any of that until I, I came across other women who, like you said, had delivered breach, who had delivered, um, you know, prematurely, vaginally. And so that was kind of eye opening for me. So for the listeners, that is definitely something to um, familiar, familiarize yourself with if, you know, you have had a premature birth before or anything like that, um, because I didn't know any of that. So. Walk us through the early parts of postpartum, and then we can talk about moving out of the early parts of postpartum, but having a birth that um, was a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and then for your son, definitely having to go to NICU, what, what were those first couple of weeks like? And then how did how did you get into a rhythm? Um, I, personally. Postpartum for me was kind of one of those things that I didn't even think about until my son was probably like a year old. It was just kind of like I was going through the motions, everything that was happening was happening, and it was what it was. You know, I didn't really look at it as my postpartum journey and how I handled it until later. Um, But for me, it was just kind of like taking it day by day. I didn't really focus on myself very much. Um, I needed to recover from my C-section. I did understand that, but mainly it was like, I need to start pumping right now because my baby needs breast milk in the NICU. I have to figure out how to do that. Uh, I was actually in my last term of uh, my Master of Legal Studies program. It was finals week, the week that I had him. So even in that, I had my sisters bring like my books and everything to the hospital. So I was like, I got to get my finals done. I have to do all this stuff. And it wasn't really about me at that point. Even though everything I had been through, I just, I couldn't focus on that at the time. And the NICU journey, oh my gosh, that's a segment for another time. Because <laughs> that that takes a whole different toll on, I believe, your postpartum experience. Um, and we had a very difficult NICU stay. It, it started off as uneventful. And then um, my son got RSV and pneumonia in the NICU, which led to staph infection, which led to life support, which is all these things in a three-month time span. Um, And so, like I said, I I couldn't focus on me and how I was feeling because I needed to focus on, is my son going to live kind of thing. And so when I talk to other moms about postpartum journeys and postpartum depression and things like that, it's kind of like, oh, I'm sure I experienced that. 
But did I process it as that at that time? Absolutely not, because I, I didn't give myself a chance to. So once we kind of got out of that, and my son has had multiple surgeries and everything over the time, but once I got to a point where I could sit down and think like, you have some healing to do. Your your postpartum experience was very difficult and, and not, you know, really traditional, I, I would say, because of the NICU, because of all the illnesses and surgeries and everything. Um, so it wasn't until we were probably, oh my gosh, my son was probably a year and a half old that I really started to realize how much damage um, had been done to my emotional state, my mental state and things like that <clears throat> during my postpartum journey. And how old is your son? He'll be four in November. And how are you now on this side of postpartum? Oh my gosh, I feel like a different person um, because I, I had to do the work to get here. I had to um, definitely realize that you're not okay. Like you have convinced yourself for so long that you were okay. But when you walk into that same hospital where he's born and you get on the elevator and you smell that smell, you get nauseous. <laughs> you, you're not okay, you know? And it was those things that it was like, and I think as women, we try to just brush off, oh, everybody probably feels like that. Like, that's fine. You know, most NICU moms probably don't like going back to the hospital. But it's like, no, you got to deal with that. And so now um, that I've gotten to that point, even with having another child, um, when my husband and I decided to try for another baby earlier this year, that was a lot of work as well because you're traumatized. You feel like, I can't do this again. You know, I'm, this is just not for me. Maybe having babies is just not my thing. And for some women, that's okay. But I knew that I wanted another child. And so I had to get myself to an emotional state, a mental state, a, a healthy place to say that no matter what happens this time, I'll, I'll still be okay. Um, and so that's kind of where I am now. I am a much healthier place. And I, community has been really big for me in getting to that place too. Other moms who have dealt with postpartum depression, other moms who, like me, didn't even realize they had experienced that until much later. And so now we're doing our healing process two years after our child, you know, is born. And you feel like you're kind of going crazy because it's like, why am I even dealing with this right now? But you you can't just make that go away. Like it has to be dealt with. And, and I'm glad that I realized that. There's two things I'm thinking about. Um, the first one is, you know, this idea um, of postpartum being the fourth trimester. And like mm -hmm. after six weeks, postpartum is over. Yes, yes. Now, no. Yeah. And we say here all the time, <laughs> we know that there are other platforms singing the, it as well. Postpartum <laughs> is forever. Yes. Um, yes. And the fact, you know, that it took you a year to even get to a place of, okay, I can actually start healing mm -hmm. just speaks to the time that it can take, right? Yes. For just yep. healing the body and the mind from birth, from that transformation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that it isn't linear either. Um, it's, yeah. you know, as your kids reach different milestones, you're doing, you're shifting and you're healing in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and then, which like also makes me think of the second point, and I'm, I'm grateful that you brought up, um, especially for families who have experienced loss or families who ha have had traumatic births, the process of if wanting of if they want to expand their family more mm -hmm. of getting to a place of being ready to do that. Yes. Um, and how hard 
that can be um, mm-hmm. the, or the work that it takes to be able to say, okay, we're ready now. Yeah. Um, is all part of the journey as well. Yes. Um, so yes. And, and a lot of times in that journey of, I could just um, add that you and your spouse won't always be on the same page. <laughs> and that is hard too. That is hard too. And because my husband, and even now he's like, I don't know why you would want to have another baby because you almost died. Like having Isaac, like I have you still, I have Isaac, like, you know, that's, that should be enough. And it's like, but you can't tell me that that should be enough. So we had to get to a place where he understood that even though, you know, we had been through that traumatic experience, we had been through all those things and lost, um, that it was okay to try again. He had to heal as well. And so once we got to that place, it was like, okay, now we can try again. And, and that makes it really hard too when you and your spouse aren't on this like same journey to, okay, we both feel better now. Let's get pregnant again. <laughs> like it, it doesn't always happen like that. <clears throat> I also wanted to tap in on that conversation about postpartum is that it's not just postpartum for the baby that you have, right? Mm-hmm. There's still postpartum experiences for each miscarriage. And that's yep. like, everybody's like, okay, once you stop bleeding. Yes. Once yeah. once all the medical portion of this is over, <clears throat> then it's a, a totally ignored phase of the process. You yep. don't get six weeks after a miscarriage. Yes. You don't get, you're, you're trying to figure out when you're going back to work. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a space of bereavement and it's, yeah. and it's not, honored in that way yeah yeah and I think that I'm so glad you brought that up because that's being talked about a lot more on platforms too is that that postpartum after miscarriage because you know people are like like you said okay the bleeding is done it's over with like you're okay girl go ahead and it's like no there there's a journey there too and a lot of times it's it's ignored or people are made to feel bad for acknowledging that journey because like but you didn't have a baby like, so that you, you don't get that time. So I'm very glad you brought that up on this platform because it's not talked about nearly enough. So all our policymakers, um, organizational <laughs> leaders, anyone right. who needs to, <laughs> who's in control of creating yeah. spaces. Let's talk yeah. about leave for miscarriages, for abortions, for anything that I think, can, just reproductive health in general can we just mm-hmm. talk about yeah yeah <laughs> because there's so many layers to that yes, like right. we're not okay. okay like come on like just yes, yes. <laughs> just honoring um what happens right through all of that um yeah. in the space that it needs and that again it looks different for everybody based on their lived experiences but that there needs to be space for it yes absolutely are there any other resources that you wanted to share or anything about your story that you want to share with other listeners? I know that you mentioned, you know, like the support you've had and like support groups for like NICU parents and things like that. Is there anything about that you want to continue on with? Um, yes, I actually, because of my experience, started a nonprofit myself, um, the Premium Promise Project. Um, and, and that people always ask me, you know, kind of where that name came from. In short, um, my son's name is Isaac, um, the promised son to Abraham and Sarah. And when I found out that I was having a boy, it was hard for me to accept at first because I wanted a girl so bad, y'all. But um, that's a story for another time. (laughs) But when I found out that I was having a boy, it was like, 
this is our promise coming to life kind of thing. And when he, um, when we found out he had to be born at 26 weeks and I looked at my husband and I was like, are you okay with the name Isaac? He's like, I'm fine with the name Isaac. And we've always considered him our promise. And that is where the name came from because I, I would want our organization and our foundation to be that there is hope, you know, that you can see your promise come to life. It may not be in your timing or how you want it to happen, but your promise can still manifest. It can still come to life. You can still see it um, at some point. And so that is where the Premium Promise Project comes in, where I share our story and I support other moms on their journey. And while it mainly focuses on NICU, I have more experience than I would like with child loss. So I, I do cater to those women as well because I know what that's like. And, and not all babies come home from the NICU. And so that's that's a component to think about as well that, you know, um, when you're supporting NICU moms, it's not always NICU moms who brought their babies home. So that is where I, I decided to found the Premium Promise Project and partner with other organizations who also do the same and also work with policymakers, um, like you mentioned, to talk about these things and the maternal health crisis and all those things. Um, that is where my, my heart is right now, um, not only in getting those policies changed, but also supporting those moms because we don't get nearly as much support as we need. And so with that, I've written books um, to talk about that. And, and, you know, my organization partnered with other organizations um, who have done the same thing because the larger ones, you know, they, the large, I don't want to say any names, uh, but larger organizations tend to focus on, you know, kind of what looks good in the public eye at that time. But it's the smaller organizations, the smaller foundations who see the people. And I think that has been so important to me to partner with other women on my level who have lived it, who have walked through it, who see themselves and every woman who loses a baby and every woman who has a, a preemie and every woman who experiences infertility. And those kind of organizations, I feel like, are so important to get the work done. So if you can get yourself in a community like that, if you are a mom, when you're ready, because it takes time, you're not always just ready to jump into community or partner with other women or share your story publicly, that takes time. That's a healing journey in itself. But when you do get to that point, I feel like it was so helpful for me and my ongoing healing to be around other women, other supporters who see it, who see what needs to be changed, to know what it feels like. And that is always my piece when I share my story, that share your story because you don't know who else might have a similar story or who may connect with you. And the work that you guys can do together can be world-changing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> we are <laughs> incredibly grateful um, for your share today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to do this with you guys. Yes. And we're going to make sure all that information is in the show notes. Okay. So people know where to go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Perfect. And Karita, how's Isaac? How is he? Oh, my goodness. Isaac is doing amazing. Um, and a lot of times when people see Isaac, they're like, he was not a 26-weeker. I was like, yes, he was, y'all. Like, everyone thinks he's so big. Um, he does look big to me, of course, because he's my baby. But um, he is doing well. And he has had so much, you know, that he's faced. And it's kind of like 
he's a prime example of you don't always have to look like what you've been through. And I think that is another thing that pushes me in my organization, just kind of like, look at this. You know, the journey was not easy. He has a metal plate in his skull with seven screws from a major brain surgery. Um, he was born with an encephalocele, so part of his brain was on the outside of his skull. Um, super rare condition, and I think one in 12,000 live births that happens. Um, so, and all these things, and it's like, but he's doing incredible. And so I'm always pushed to kind of share that um, piece of the story. And I'm glad that you brought that up because it's kind of one of those things like your journey might be a hot mess sometimes, but there can be something so beautiful on the other side. And just hold on to that. Like whatever it is that you're going through, whatever you're experiencing, like no matter how ugly it gets, there's beauty on the other side. There's always going to be beauty for your ashes. And my almost four-year-old 26-weeker is a prime example of that. So thank you for asking about that. Yes, no problem. I'm always, I always want to know, like, you know, little ones that go through all that stuff, they're so yes. tough. They're yes. so strong. And, yes. you know, the parents have been through so much. And, and sometimes it's just an ongoing thing, right? There's mm-hmm. always, sometimes there's always something that you're going to continue to be working on. But to yeah. know that your baby's here and flourishing. And yes. yes. Here, right? Yes. Here. And, and that's what matters. It's like, whatever comes, it's okay, because you're still here. And it's, that's actually the name of my book. It's funny. That was like a pun. But um, the name of my book is actually You're Still Here. And I, I wasn't even about to go there, but um, it, it happened for a reason. So <laughs> the name of my book is You're Still Here. And that is exactly why, because it does not matter what happens. As long as you are living, breathing with breath in your body, you can still keep going. No matter how slow you have to move, how fast you want to move. Like I said, we we do therapy. He wears leg braces. He wears glasses, all this stuff. But none of it holds it back because he's like, you're still here. You're functioning. You're thriving. And I am one proud mama. And that is what matters to me. As long as you're still here, you can keep going. Look at the universe working, y'all. Yes. <laughs> Come on. I, I realized I didn't even have to. I, I realized I never said anything about the book. But it's like, okay, well, there you go. There you go. go. <laughs> Universe is like, uh, book, like please. That. Right, right. Don't leave out the book. Exactly. Right, you got other Our guests are to always so shy community. with their projects. They're like, am I allowed to say Right. Yeah, it, it, you know, I do. I, I really don't talk about it often, but it, it is. Um, I have gotten some great feedback from it from not even just moms, but people in general who have gone through difficult seasons in their life. So, yeah. Well, I am glad that you were able to share that. We need to start putting a notice, Danny. Like, share your gifts to the world. Yes, yes. Sometimes Come you on. get a little nervous, right? You're shy. <laughs> you don't want to do too much, but yes, you're right. You're this right. This is the place to do it all. The, wor- the world do- needs what you have. So, yes. do the most share here. It. Yes. Do the most here. We're here for it. Do the most here. Okay. Oh, well, thank you so much again. We are, like I said, just incredibly thankful. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 